the Christian democracy, separation of church and state, liberal democracies. Christians destroyed Europe by implanting the rule of altruism into politics, giving democracy. All is not lost, I finally found a boomer that makes sense. From What is the West? By Philippe Nemo, Kenneth Kassler, Translator. I maintain that this desacralization of power in Europe is the fruit of the Judeo-Christian tradition, that the very notion of secularity comes from the Bible, and that this is the reason democracy arose only in the West, indeed, that its flourishing may only be possible in the West. Graham Maddox, the Australian writer, put this remarkably in perspective, in Religion and the Rise of Democracy. It was the Hebrew prophets who initiated the deep division and creative struggle between spiritual and temporal power. The prophet does not submit to the king. The girdle comes out crooked. Very good. But there is no perfect diamond. En este mundo nada es perfecto, as my father would say. You're Sephardic? Yes. Do you know Spain? I do. And Spain me. At one time I thought she would return from the grave, but that is not to be. Every country that has driven out the Jews has suffered the same fate. Which is? <laughs> you don't want to hear. We should talk stones. The most valued stone is the red diamond from the Argyle mines. So very rare. I've seen two in a long life. A price almost beyond belief. I do want to hear. Uh, well, how to say? There's no culture save the Semitic culture there. The last known culture before that was the Greek, and there will be no culture after. Nothing. That's a bold claim. The heart of any culture is to be found in the nature of the hero. Who is that man who is revered? In the classical world, it is the warrior, but in the Western world, it is the man of God. From Moses to Christ, the prophet, the penitent. Such a figure was unknown to the Greeks, unheard of, unimaginable. Because there is only a man of God, not a man of gods. And this God is the God of the Jewish people. There is no other God. These Christian bastards spread monotheism, the Jewish thought in the West, destroying all Western thought. The king cannot be rid of the prophet. Sinful Babylon, the state. The separation of church and state. Christians refuse the civil society, the state. Hence the modern separation of state and religion. The various history books of the Bible show that the two spiritual and temporal powers cannot be combined in a single figure, whether a sacred king or an emperor pope. I explained why this is so above, temporal power as such plays no role in the economy of salvation. It is the prophets and the saints that work for the inner conversion of mortal human beings. The role of the state is to guarantee order, to ensure that human society does not descend into hell. But the state does not hold the keys to paradise. The work of salvation is on a different register, completely removed from politics. Those Christians jerks with the Judeo-Christian thinking have just destroyed the ancient city-state. For the Hebrews, the state had always been Babylon. Hence the Christians' hatred for the state. For the Hebrews, the state had always been Babylon, the beast, 
the abomination that causes desolation. But Christ lived in a society that, for some time, had been civilized by the Greeks and the Romans. No doubt he appreciated the ability of the civic state to impose order, the lesser evil referred to by St. Augustine as the Peace of Babylon. He did not denounce the state. When Pilate questioned him, he answered simply, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus' statement render unto Caesar, endorses this distribution of roles. His meaning is clear, each of the two powers has its vocation and its dominion. The state administers the present, the prophets and saints prepare the future. All Christian societies exhibit this irreducible yet productive discontinuity. Maddox demonstrated that this was the driving force behind the birth of democracies in modern times. If Thomism and the Neo-Thomism of the Spanish Second Scholastic, joint instigators of the revival of ancient just naturalism, were the starting points of liberal principles in Europe, there is little doubt that democracy itself emerged from the fertile soil of Calvinism. In the writings of the French Huguenots, the Dutch rebels, the English Puritans, and every evangelist of the American Revolution, Calvinist Saul, steeped in the Old Covenant, again and again the battle cry is for the saints that struggle relentlessly against the kingly idols and sinful Babylon of the state. Only the moral and intellectual elites of civil society, this holy remnant of Israel who bear witness to and guide what later will be called public opinion, are sacred. Christians have never understood anything about esotericism, applying these esoteric precepts to the outside, to society. While these esoteric precepts were integrated in the antique society, statesmen do not have, and will never have, a monopoly on or privilege of distinguishing truth, beauty, or good. Men and women in government are individuals like any others. In fact, they may be worse because they have the potential to commit greater sins in view of their greater powers. Therefore, it would be foolhardy to suppose they have either greater knowledge, inspiration, or vocation that might justify placing them above the law. Universal suffrage, regular elections, collegiate responsibility of the government before the representatives of the people, these are the simplest and securest institutional safeguards to ensure civil society's constant control of the state. Because these safeguards may in certain circumstances be insufficient, the option of insurrection must be left open, which is what Locke does with his right of resistance against tyranny, the French Declaration of 1789 included this right of resistance among the fundamental human rights. Thus the state is only legitimate if it drops its claim to being absolute, and if it accepts the status of being an instrument. This is the pattern of democracy. Thus the state is only legitimate if it drops its claim to being absolute, and if it accepts the status of being an instrument. This is the pattern of democracy. And to think that these Western idiots believe that democracy is freedom. It would not be unreasonable to claim that the biblical spirit, through the successive agency of the papal and Calvinist revolutions, accomplished the desacralization of the state. It is this attitude that accustomed Westerners to the idea that the state is more fallible than society and that, therefore, society must be sovereign in the final instance. All else, including the choice of regime, constitutional monarchy, republic, presidential regime, mono-slash-bicameral government, electoral calendars, type of vote, etc., is a question of procedure. On the other hand, Every political philosopher who expressed hostility to biblical heritage also extolled non-democratic forms of the state, that is the resacralization of the state in the form of authoritarian or absolutist regimes, Machiavelli, Hobbes, Rousseau, Hegel, Maras, or in the form of totalitarian regimes, Marx, Lenin, neo-paganistic Nazis. Refounding the state in absolute terms, Hegel caused the setback of democracy in Germany by at least 100 years. Absolutist and, later, Jacobin France also resacralized the state, 
indeed to such an extent that whatever was not under state control was reputed to be impure. This is the basis for the claim of the Jacobin Napoleonic state, and later the Gaulistan socialist state, to run education and, in general, to be the sole social institution, capable of speaking in the name of a general interest. Everywhere anti-biblical thinkers' factions removed the foundations from under the democratic principle of the sovereignty of the people. This happened with every Red Revolution and insurrection from the Reign of Terror during the French Revolution to the riots of June 1848, from the Paris Commune to the October Revolution in Russia. In each of these instances of violence, the free expression of the people's voice was ignored and despised, and elections were systematically postponed sine die. To summarize the argument, democracy was born in a native cultural soil that nurtured a conviction and doctrine of human fallibility. A religious doctrine, the doctrine of human fallibility is thus at the origin of this Christian West. To summarize the argument, democracy was born in a native cultural soil that nurtured a conviction and doctrine of human fallibility as well as the right of humanity to aspire to a better future, and the illegitimacy of political power to take charge of this future. A heresy for the ancients. The Christian is the enemy of tradition and of the Western thought. But he sells himself to the public eye as the opposite, he has infiltrated all right-wing and traditionalist circles. All. To summarize the argument, democracy was born in a native cultural soil that nurtured a conviction and doctrine of human fallibility, as well as the right of humanity to aspire to a better future and the illegitimacy of political power to take charge of this future, thus incarnating the ultimate goal of human life. The enemy of the West has always been the Christian. From a history of political ideas, from antiquity to the Middle Ages by Philippe Nemo, Kenneth Kassler, translator. A person's obligation to behave morally arises under the impulse of the same nature that governs the universe. Here we see the distance separating this conception from that of the Judeo-Christian world. Together with Hellenism and Roman Edas, Judeo-Christianity is the third pillar of the Western political tradition. It ushers in an entirely new political and legal inspiration, one foreign to the spiritual universe of the Greco-Roman world, a new moral sense, a rejection of the normality of evil, implying a radical transformation of the perception of time, the idea of history as directed toward improvement, the theory of progress, and the idea that spiritual power outweighs temporal power and that the state, a sinful Babylon, must be harnessed to avoid constituting the ultimate horizon of human existence. The West was born in the Middle Ages, more precisely between the 11th and 13th centuries, such that, after centuries of contact, an innovative synthesis occurred between the new moral element from Jerusalem and the great civic legacy of ancient Athens and Rome. This synthesis made possible the rise of European modernity, rooted in social and scientific progress and structuring itself on the model of liberal democracies where the state has conditional and limited powers. For an in-depth understanding of this history, we must step far back in time to the Bible itself. At its deepest origin, biblical thought is free of Greek influence. In terms of its reference model of social organization, the biblical world offers an alternative route out of the magical religious universe of the ancient Near Eastern sacred monarchies, a route very different from the Greek city-state. Furthermore, the intellectual product of the Bible, in terms of profundity and insight, holds its own against Greek philosophy. Our discussion begins with the political ideas in the ancient biblical world and in the New Testament. We will attempt to identify the most original concepts of this thought, the relegation of temporal power to a secondary role relative to spiritual power, the eschatological orientation of time and history. Despite a brief resurrection of the empire, under the Carolingian and Ottoman dynasties, the state regressed until it disappeared altogether at any rate in certain times and places. The Church, as keeper of the classical world and conveyor of new values, 
struggled against this decline and imposed its spiritual and moral authority over the young states of Europe. Separation of Church and State Toward the end of the Middle Ages, the separation of spiritual and temporal powers, the shoots of which were already visible during the Papal Revolution, finally flowered. The widespread study of Roman law, Greek philosophy, and Latin humanism provided the framework, to lay the intellectual foundations of the modern concept of the state. The state, in the sense of an object of political thought, did not exist in the earliest periods of Hebrew history, then, for nearly four centuries after its creation, the Hebrew state was associated with the sacred monarchies of the Near East, after this, the Jews had no state of their own, except for one short period, and the state became something foreign, ruled by the Assyrians, Chaldeans, Persians, Greeks, or Romans. As for scientific thought, the precondition for political thought, it came into existence only much later in the biblical world, and then in broad brushstrokes under the influence of Hellenism, it disappeared, in fact, from Rabbinic Judaism with Hellenism itself. So, for all these reasons, there is nothing in the Bible, strictly speaking, that can be compared with the political thought of Greco-Roman philosophers and orators. In contrast, the Greek world, rational, critical, and desacralizing, was capable of desiring and accepting change. In contrast, the Greek world, rational, critical, and desacralizing, was capable of desiring and accepting change. This is why Christian societies, liberal democracies, are destroying themselves all the time. Because they do not accept the change. The world of the Western Christian bourgeois is the world of the status quo. He refused change because change is based on esotericism, internal transformations. And the Jew, then the Christian, is its enemy. Christian and all monotheists never learns anything from life, hate life. They are the enemy of change and of the awakening of the individual, and therefore also of society. In contrast, the Greek world, rational, critical, and desacralizing, was capable of desiring and accepting change. However, critical of the nomos, it then also sacralized the physis, starting with who? Man nature. The Greek world, sacralized the human nature. The Jew the Christian hates humans. Hates man and the earthly incarnation. In our earlier discussion of the natural law, we saw that the Greek world regarded physis as the absolute, transcendent norm. Consequently, the Greek world never developed the concept of history as a progressive process, nor did it ever have a political and social program. The girdle comes out crooked. Very good. But there is no perfect diamond. In este mundo nada es perfecto, as my father would say. You're Sephardic? Yes. Do you know Spain? I do. And Spain me. At one time I thought she would return from the grave, but that is not to be. Every country that has driven out the Jews has suffered the same fate. Which is? <laughs> you don't want to hear. We should talk stones. The most valued stone is the red diamond from the Argyle mines. So very rare. I've seen two in a long life. A price almost beyond belief. I do want to hear. Uh, well, how to say? There's no culture, save the Semitic culture, there. 
The last known culture before that was the Greek, and there will be no culture after. Nothing. That's a bold claim. The heart of any culture is to be found in the nature of the hero. Who is that man who is revered? In the classical world, it is the warrior, but in the Western world, it is the man of God. From Moses to Christ, the prophet, the penitent, such a figure was unknown to the Greeks, unheard of, unimaginable. Because there is only a man of God, not a man of gods. And this God is the God of the Jewish people. There is no other God. The religion of the Bible is an unprecedented special case, where it is sacred power itself that, through the agency of the prophets, demands a profound transformation of man and the world and creates the prospect of a totally new future. Thus, in the knowledge that God sustains him, and that he is his co-worker, man can and must transform history into a program. From Christianism, Judeo-Christian thinking, to Marxism, no step. It's the same thing. Without Christians in Europe, no Marxism no communism, one brought the other. One is the other. Thus, in the knowledge that God sustains him, and that he is his co-worker, man can and must transform history into a program. He can begin by thinking history, by developing the concept itself. Historical progress does not so much involve providing solutions to problems as recognizing problems and anomalies where previously nothing of the sort was visible, where the normal and eternal nature of things was all that was possible. In this sense, the greatest merit goes not to the problem solvers but to the problem creators, irrespective of their impact on the conventions of the age. This is precisely what the biblical prophets did. In the words of Andre Nair, the biblical prophets, that is, wounded and altered men, identified and created problems and made unprecedented moral demands, even at the expense of their own personal ruin. The whole Jewish thought synthesized, which the Christian moron relayed in Europe. Jesus did exactly so, there had been no problem with divorce, then he created one, there had been no problem condemning publicans and prostitutes or throwing the first stone at someone the community found guilty, of fighting with one's enemies, and so on. Now, all these attitudes are problematic. I hope that you understand better the modern world. Therefore, new solutions may loom behind each of these new problems, for example, the creation of an institution, and historical progress. The Western world will not improve but will destroy itself. And Asia will be the winner of this game. Judeo-Christian societies see themselves as transformative societies. And creator of new products. When you look at the U.S. and its relationship and its concern about oil and its politics in the Middle East. Yeah. You think it's a distraction? You think that it... No, I'm not saying the Middle East is a distraction. I think trying to make a country out of Afghanistan is a distraction. There was no country for the last 30, 40 years. They've just been fighting each other since the last king was chased out. Right. How on earth are you going to put these little bits together? It's not possible. So therefore you do what? I'm not an expert, but in my simple mind, it strikes me that you yeah. won in Iraq, uh, you won in Afghanistan, not because you fought the Taliban, but because you got the Northern Alliance to fight them. Exactly. And you provided the Northern Alliance with intelligence and the capabilities to bomb them and target them. And they captured the South.
Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they've got governance problems over there, too. Yeah, that's all right. But that's their problem. Why do you want to make it your problem? But that's their problem. Why do you want to make it your problem? But that's their problem. Why do you want to make it your problem? So what would you do? Would you pull all the troops out and let whatever happens to Afghanistan happens to Afghanistan? It's not that threatening to the United States. Is that the argument? I don't know about that because I think it cannot be more difficult to, for the United States than to have your troops stuck there. The, the Russians are a brutal, ruthless so a lot of army people, right. 120,000 of them were there. But they had to leave. Yeah, and we helped that because we supported the Mujahideen. Yeah. The Mujahideen had a lot of support from around the world who wanted yeah. to see the Soviet Union take it. Yeah, but whether or not the Soviets helped them to get the Americans right. out, <laughs> I yeah. think the Americans and the NATO troops, the NATO members are very skeptical of the outcome even to the point of not wanting to send their troops in certain kinds of combat areas. Quite right. Yeah. Yes, of course, because you get shot for nothing. But those who argue that it, if Afghanistan is abandoned, first yeah. of all, the world will say, or people will say, look, you left Afghanistan once before after the Soviets had left, and now you're leaving again. The United States has to stand for something, and it has to show that it's prepared to stay. Yeah, no. You don't buy that at all. The United States has to stand for something, and it has to show that it's prepared to stay. You don't buy that at all. The United States has to stand for something, and it has to show that it's prepared to stay. You don't buy that at all. You know, Rudyard you, I mean, you must have a wonderful conversation with your friend Henry Kissinger then. No, no. no oh, stop no. there, though. Where do you and Henry Kissinger differ on, an, uh, on a look, a view of the U.S. role in the world? I don't think we we are, there's any difference. Is there. that right? How would you define it then? I think the U.S. can be a benign stabilizer of the world order. A benign stabilizer? Yes. Without the U.S., East Asia would never have grown. You and brought peace and technology, trade and investments, and East Asia flourished. That's, well, that's clear. It's happened in East Asia. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Singapore and North and South yeah, Korea, no, and absolutely. So, and if you're so not we can't, how do we do that in the Middle East? How do we do that when you've got the kind of conflict that's taking place? Yeah. You can't solve all uh, the problems in the world. How do we do that in the Middle East? How do we do that when you've got the kind of conflict that's taking place? You, <laughs> you can't solve uh, all the problems in the world. How do we do that in the Middle East? How do we do that when you've got the kind of conflict that's taking place? You, <laughs> you can't solve uh, all the problems in the world. The discrediting of temporal power. The second conviction of the people of the Bible a conviction that also passes into the political tradition of the West, is that temporal power as such plays no more than a secondary role in human life, because it plays no part in the economy of salvation, which depends entirely on the inner conversion of a person. The Jew has never understood anything about esotericism. We noted this fundamental discordance of the two powers ever since the criticism of kingship by the prophets, then the transformation of the messianic king and priest who became less and less identified with real institutions and increasingly spiritualized, then, under theocracy, the disinterest manifested by priests for the institutions of state relinquished to foreign powers, 
albeit reluctantly, and finally in the Seleucid and Roman eras when the Jewish sects openly led wars against the occupying powers and their Hasmonean and Herodian representatives. The Jew, and his commercial representative in the West, the Christian does not understand anything about esotericism. Nothing. Finally, the separation of spiritual and temporal power became total with Rabbinic Judaism and early Christianity. Finally, the separation of spiritual and temporal power became total with Rabbinic Judaism and early Christianity. In the attitude of the biblical prophets and saints, we encounter a genuine feeling of superiority in regard to the state, as well as the will to direct it from a distance by the exertion of moral pressure on the people and their leaders. Every state is necessarily and always a Babylon, one of the beasts from the sea. The righteous can never completely trust it and cooperate with it. Christians destroyed Europe. People think it's the Jewish thought but the representatives in the West are the Christians. This biblical contempt for temporal power, the conviction of the saints that they exist in a history that lies outside the realm of action and beyond the sight of the powerful of this world, plays a fundamental role in the political history of Christianized societies, including those of Western Europe, which continue to hold in high esteem the civic traditions of antiquity. But the Greco-Roman trust in the state would never be fully restored. Christians will always be the rampart in the West against the return to tradition. Get rid of the Christian politically, and you will solve the problem of the West. Graham Maddox believes that the very idea of democracy is the fruit of a biblical tradition of state mistrust. In fact, modern democracies are regimes that have established a set of institutions for the systematic control of the state, a free press, public schools, elected representatives, an independent judiciary, and so on. These idiots Western Democrats think that these institutions are there for th. m. Bloody idiots. The idea that the state needs constant control could only come to those who, in principle, were suspicious of its villainy and perversions. This is why the socialist is a Christian, even if he sees himself as an atheist, he carries the Jewish thought. The secularization of the state, that is, the reduction of the state to a simple technical tool serving objectives that it has no authority to define for itself is the brainchild of Calvinist countries, the Netherlands, England, the United States, whose political thinkers and leaders were deeply immersed in and influenced by the biblical tradition, especially the Old Testament. It was the Judeo-Christian tradition that preserved the West from the temptation of looking at the state as an absolute entity. From Histoire des idées politiques temps modernes et contemporaines slash history of political ideas in modern and contemporary times by Philippe Nemo. About Machiavelli's thought. The harmful character of Christianism and the papacy for Italy. If the nation is the true reality of history, to which everything must be sacrificed, it is clear that, on the contrary, Christianism, with its universalism, is for Italy one of the fundamental causes of its weakness. If Italy is not and can no longer be a Rome, it is because Christianism has replaced paganism. It is the Roman Church that has kept us divided. A country can only be truly united and prosperous when it obeys only one government either monarchy or republic. Such as France or Spain. If the government of early Italy is not so organized, either as a republic or a monarchy, it is to the church alone that we owe it. But freedom was revealed to humanity by Christianism, much more than by the Greco-Roman universe. Only Christian morality gives freedom an infinite value, since only freedom allows moral responsibility. How stupid they are! It's edifying. After 50 years, I still don't get used to the Christian stupidity. They don't understand anything about esotericism, they are totally hermetic to it. Democracy aims at making possible the expression of each individual and at making impossible his crushing, intellectual liberties produce the progress of science, economic and social liberties the prosperity, 
the virtual extinction of pauperism. All this is likely to realize the ethical and eschatological project of the Bible, relayed in the Middle Ages by the Papal Revolution, and in modern times by the moderate fountains of Calvinism that inspired the Dutch, English and American revolutions, which were led, as we have seen, by ardently Christian leaders and groups. It was only natural, although it implied a new intellectual effort in this direction, that Christians in Catholic Europe should now make explicit the kinship and affinity they felt existed between the ideals of 1789 and their faith. This trend has been referred to as liberal Catholicism, Catholic liberalism, Christian democracy. Felicitate Alamane, from 1830 on, thinks that it is necessary to free Christianism from any too close link with any political and social regime and that it is necessary to separate the church and the state. The separation of the church and the state, is the fruit of the Bible, contrary to the popular belief that it is there to free people. The refusal to recognize the legitimacy of the action of great men came from a bad interpretation of Christianism, that of Kant, but also that of the Anglo-Saxons. It is Christianism which, the first, promoted the right of the subject to find his satisfaction and broke completely in this respect with the fatalism of the Greco-Roman universe. That one could surpass nature, that one could want the impossible, was something good in itself. That's why these Western idiots are delusional, thinking they can stop a virus, the COVID, hence the hatred of the Christian for nature. We know how careful the Christians were to destroy all traces of paganism and to cover it up. Jesus is born on the winter solstice. The feast day of his forerunner John the Baptist is on the summer solstice. Jesus is resurrected at the vernal equinox. The environmental movement, the last Christian emanation, hates nature and applies measures that will destroy all ecosystems for man. The Christian is a psychiatric case unto himself. Here is how Rousseau tries to justify this institution. The first religious state of humanity was polytheism, consequence of the division of humanity into nations, or tribes. Each people had its own god and imposed it on the other peoples when it defeated them, but it respected, except in this case, the gods, of the other nations. There was thus a perfect identity between political cohesion and religious cohesion. Everything changed with the Jews who invented a strict monotheism that was incompatible with the existence of national religions. Hence the rupture of religious peace, aggravated later by Christianism. From then on, there was a spiritual power with a universal vocation, and temporal powers with a national vocation, and that is why each state ceased to be one. The Sacrifice Christ is the mediation between God and man. Man has sinned and deserves death. Christ alone takes upon himself the hatred of God and the punishment. By a sacrifice, he therefore reconciles man and God, without the sacrifice of Christ, man could simply not live. The ritual of the Mass constantly recalls this structure. Except that sacrifice is an esoteric act. There have never been any Christs. Esoterically Christ is death, now all you have to do is find out what kind of death it is. For that the Egyptians, use this word as. Sarcophagus. Coffin. Q-R-S-W. Bury. Q-R-S. At least, the Egyptians, knew what it meant, apparently no minotheistos. From Histoire du Liberalisme en Europe slash History of Liberalism in Europe by Philippe Nemo, Editor, Jean Petitot, Editor. This aspect will seem particularly curious to the French to whom Republican secularism wanted to make believe that modernity had been built against Judeo-Christianity, that the great freedoms of modern man had been affirmed in direct proportion to the retreat of faith and the loss of influence of the churches. LOL bloody stupid Westerners. But this is not the conclusion that can be drawn from the study of the history of ideas, nor from history as such. 
Christianism played a major role in the creation of the liberal institutions, in particular, as Max Weber explained, during the Protestant Reformation, we know the place that Calvinism occupied in the construction of modern Dutch, English and American societies, but also during the Spanish Second Scholasticism and in its way. In fact, as René Girard has luminously explained, the event that the Gospel commemorates is indeed, as in all archaic religions, the sacrifice of a victim by a crowd. But whereas in these, society preserves the version of the event given by the persecuting mob, that is the myth, this time the faithful and the apostles of the new religion preserve and spread the version of the event given by the victim. Hence the Western cult of the victim. From now on, therefore, when a victim begins to be persecuted, there will be someone to see in him or her a Christ, to say that the accusation is unjust or disproported. According to René Girard, the traditional assertion that the Bible is revelation must be taken in the scientific sense. It reveals to men the mechanism of the scapegoat which was hidden since the foundation of the world. Thus, as Judeo-Christian morality penetrates Western societies, the individual will be more and more protected by moral and, sooner, by law. All socialism, in fact, at least when it begins to become real, supposes, in one way or another, the prima of the group over the individual, the triumphy of a single thought, the crushing of the person, of his thought and of his potentialities. It is therefore no coincidence that the most intractable resistances that arose in the 20th century, were Christian or emanated from a humanism nourished by biblical soil. In this respect too, the Bible is an integral part of the genetic program of all past and future liberalism. As Graham Maddox has magnificently shown, the Bible is finally the efficient cause of the appearance of democracy in history. For democracy to appear, in fact, the state had to be desacralized and reduced to a purely instrumental status. Now this is what was accomplished by the Hebrew prophets from the creation of the state of Israel in the time of Saul, David and Solomon. The prophets are reticent about this creation. It is understandable, no doubt, that the people want a state, which will protect them from their warlike neighbors and lift them out of their socially inferior status as nomads and proletarian people. But if there is a state, there will be a king, and God will no longer be the only king. For the representatives of Mosaic monotheism, the institution of the state is, by itself, suspected. What makes me always laugh, is to think of theses idiots who call themselves traditionalist Christians. Nietzsche. Christianity is a revolt of all creatures that creep on the ground against everything that is lofty, the gospel of the lowly lowers. In the rest of Israel's history, the prophets will always constitute a spiritual power rivaling the temporal power. Christianism will inherit this fruitful duality. This is a revolution compared to all previous forms of state. Up to now, all states have been sacred, from the African rainmaker king to the emperors of China or Japan. The Christian state is desacralized. But among the Jews, the state has an even lesser status, since it is always, since the exile, the thing of the foreigner. The state, for Judaism, is Babylon, that is to say, sin, the abomination of desolation, whether it be Babylon itself, or the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, or any of the states in which the diaspora would later live, states for which the Jews will have, if need be, a strong attachment and even a perfect loyalty, but which they will always consider as a mere instrument of social welfare, subject to critical judgment, never as an absolute. For Judeo-Christianism, the state is good only to ensure a lesser evil, what St. Augustine precisely calls the peace of Babylon, that is, law and order and it is disqualified to ensure that perfect justice and happiness which Iris taught in the Stoics conceived in the single horizon of the city. That's why all modern states are eunuchs. The state is only an instrument of this society. 
Thus, it must be argued that it was Judeo-Christianism that created the anthropological conditions for the idea of secularism, it was the Bible that promoted, in the end, the modern limited state, the liberal state that respects the rights of citizens, and the democratic state that accepts to be subject to popular sovereignty. The theoreticians of the modern times who, little by little, will elaborate and perfect the doctrines respectively democratic and liberal, will start from this asset, as well those who will come from the Catholic camp, the Neodomists, the second Spanish scholasticism, as those who will come from the Calvinist camp, the French Huguenots, the Dutch rebels, the English and American revolutionaries. Certainly, as the 18th and 19th centuries progressed, and especially in France where, for singular and essentially contingent reasons, anti-clericalism and irreligion raged, the formulations of these doctrines will try to seculate themselves and to simulate their theological root. The American historian Berman proposed to call the great change in the church and in European society that occurred between the 11th and 13th centuries, which is usually referred to as the Gregorian Reform. Let us refer to the great work of Berman to take the full measure of the phenomenon. We will only say here that it consisted in the deliberate choice made by the men of this period and of this movement to use Greek science and Roman law to realize the ethical and eschatological ends of the Bible. The salvation promised by Christianism will not be accomplished only, as was believed in the high Middle Ages, by supernatural means, prayers, pilgrimages, cults of saints and relics, valorization of the monastic life alone on the margins of the world, it will come from pacifying, organizing, i, improving the secular world itself. They really don't understand anything about the esotericism of these mystical texts. It is in the future, and through the voluntary action of men, that nature will recover all the splendor that God had intended for his creation. It is therefore in the name of natural law that it is necessary to accomplish, not certainly the violent revolution willed by the millenarianists, but what one would call in modern vocabulary a work of reform, let us understand by this a correction of what, in the world in which St. Thomas lives, feudal and still half-pagan, is bad. That is why the nature of socialist revolutions, is reforming. As for God. The God of the religious, those men of faith, but in fact of intellect does not exist. John 10:30. I and the Father are one. From Mysticism and Science, A Call for Reconciliation by Swami Abhayananda. This unit of experience has been described numerous times in the scriptures of all religious traditions. It has been known by mystics throughout history and has been told in many ways. It is only today, in the midst of our Western materialistic society, that it appears as a startlingly new and extraordinary fact. To be sure, such an experience occurs but rarely, and is therefore little heard of by the uninitiated populace, but the experience of unity, and the knowledge, gnosis, derived from this experience, has begun to influence the way people think about the reality in which they live today. Science has gone far afield of this transpersonally acquired knowledge and must now come to terms with it and reconcile its own theories of reality with the realizations of the Gnostics. In the following great exposition attributed to the Gnostic, Simon Magus of Samaria, who was a contemporary of the Christian apostle, Peter, this mystically perceived duality and unity is magnificently explained. There are two aspects of the one. The first of these is the higher, the divine mind of the universe, which governs all things, and is masculine. The other is the lower, the thought, epinoia, which produces all things, and is feminine. As a pair united, they comprise all that exists. The divine mind is the father who sustains all things and nourishes all that begins and ends. He is the one who eternally stands, without beginning or end. He exists entirely alone, for, while the thought arising from unity, and coming forth from the divine mind, creates, the appearance of, duality, the father remains a unity. The thought is in himself 
and so he is alone. Made manifest to himself from himself, he appears to be too. He becomes father by virtue of being called so by his own thought. Since he, himself, brought forward himself, by means of himself, manifesting to himself his own thought, it is not correct to attribute creation to the thought alone. For she, the thought, conceals the father within herself, the divine mind and the thought are intertwined. Thus, though, they appear, to be a pair, one opposite the other, the divine mind is in no way different from the thought, inasmuch as they are one. Though there appears to be a higher, the mind, and a lower, the thought, truly, it is a unity, just as what is manifested from these two, that is, the universe, is a unity, while appearing to be a duality. The divine mind and the thought are discernible, one from the other, but they are one, though they appear to be two. Let's go back to the text from Histoire du Liberalisme en Europe slash History of Liberalism in Europe by Philippe Nemo, editor, Jean Petitot, editor. It is necessary to carry out social, political and juridical actions, which are prudent, but which really solve the problems of human society. Natural law will be the ferment of these reforms. It will be used as a guide to revise the bad customs of the feudal system that at the same time St. Louis begins to abolish by his first royal legislations, a revision that he recommends to his son Philippe to continue. If one wants to Christianize the world, one must give the secular powers a political program. From Philosophy de Limpet slash Philosophy of Taxation by Philippe Nemo Western societies have paved the way for scientific, economic and social progress by breaking down tribal mentalities precisely characterized by holism. It is known that there were three triggers in this respect whose effects were mutually reinforcing. The Bible, first, historically founded modern individual freedom as opposed to the unanimity of tribal societies. It is to Abraham or Moses, and to each person whom God knows by name, Isaiah 43 1, that the word of God is addressed, not to the anonymous group. And it is each individual person, not the group, who answers or not here I am. Genesis 22-1 René Girard has shown that it was this emergence of personal moral responsibility that broke down the mechanisms of mimesis that held tribal groups together. Let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone, Jesus asks the members of the group that is about to perform an irresponsible collective sacrifice, John 8-7. He formulates a new moral standard, never passively follow a group. This is esotericism idiots not politics. The meaning is not external. From Swami Abhayananda. That self is eternity. It is perfectly alone. I was the unchanging and eternal consciousness. The mystic experiences this is occurring from himself, since he is united. It's just that these texts have been interpreted for 2000 years politically, exoterically, when they were mystical texts. And, that now the Westerner, has no way out, of his stupid humanist trap. How can he, unless he is destroyed by his own humanitarian ideology. This is what will happen and painfully. Let's go back to the text from Philosophy de Limpet slash Philosophy of Taxation by Philippe Nemo. What he makes, by his passion, a transcendent truth. For by recognizing the victim of a scapegoat mechanism as God and by receiving his words, and not those of his murderers, as the normative moral source, Christianism stops these mechanisms forever. From now on, whenever someone is accused by an anonymous group, the faithful will recognize in him a Christ to whom we must guard against inflicting a new passion. That's why even the worst sea criminals are not judged in the West. And chaos reigns. And it will go from bad to worse, and the West will really really become the hell of this world. The tragedy is that, in a de-Christianizing Europe, socialism threatens to bring our societies back below this progress. I've told Christians people thousand times, you are going to pay dearly your bullshit. 
He did this by methodically criticizing the legal and social institutions that had guaranteed individual liberty since the beginning of modern times. His diablerie is that he has succeeded in passing off this process of decomposition as the implementation of Judeo-Christian altruistic morality. This is an imposture, since it completely inverts the meaning by putting in the place of God and the neighbor, who are persons, the state, which is an undifferentiated whole on which the persons can discard their moral responsibility and, consequently, shamelessly commit violence and plunder. You are about to suffer Westerners, a lot, beyond what you think imaginable, but in the end you will be destroyed.